0: Hello, patrons. It's Rose. Um, I'm here with a interview with Gretchen McCulloch, who is the author of Because Internet, um, which was the book club book for the Flash Forward Book Club a couple months ago. Um, Gretchen and I had been going back and forth a bunch about when we could get on the phone, and then she went on a much-deserved vacation after her book tour. Um, But now we got to talk, and I'm really excited to share the interview with you. This interview includes lots of discussions of the book because internet, um, normally with these, if they are fiction, I warn you that there will be spoilers, and I guess technically there will be spoilers um, because we do talk about the book, but it is nonfiction, so it's kind of less of a thing. But if You want to read the book and be pristine and not know anything about what's inside the book? Um, maybe don't listen to this episode. Uh, if you want to know what's in the book a little bit, so that you can decide if you want to read it, listen to this interview. Um, with that, I will just hand it off and uh, let's go to the interview with Gretchen. Okay, Gretchen, how do you say your last name? I say McCulloch. McCulloch. Okay, that's what I thought. And then I, as I was about to say
1: it, I was like, oh
0: hmm <laughs> <Guessing yourself. laughs> that might not come out of my mouth the way that i there are, there are other people use a different,
1: there are other people who use a different pronunciation but that's fine so it's fine
0: okay okay gretchen mcculloch thank you for coming on the flash forward bonus podcast to talk about your book because internet understanding the new rules of language i am very excited to talk to you about this i have a lot of questions about emoji and i'm stoked to have you on the show
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having me it's fun to be here <laughs>
0: Yay. Before we get into the book, I always like to ask um, all the authors that we talk to, like, how, why did you write this book? Like, how did you get, how did you become the internet's linguist?
1: So I am a linguist by training and I spend a lot of time on the internet, like many of us. And Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person, I think this is true for a lot of linguists of like, when I'm just going about my everyday life, I notice language things and I want to understand how they work. So if you get me at the pub. Uh, and sometimes I'll be trying to like have a conversation with you and be like, wait, sorry, I'm just paying attention to your vowels. Um, can you say that again? <laughs> uh, and so if I'm spending time on the internet, I'm also thinking like, How's, how are things going on here? What's going on? The more direct uh, set of events that led to Because Internet was uh, I started a blog when I was in grad school for linguistics. And I also started a few years later uh, writing for The Toast, uh, The Dearly Departed Toast. Um R. P. and R.I.P. Oh, I miss I still miss the Toast. Uh and some of the early pieces that I wrote for the Toast, one of them was a grammar of the Doge internet meme, um, which is I guess no longer a cool meme, uh, but it was it was cool in twenty fourteen when I wrote about it. Um and uh And people found those articles really interesting. I was writing about a whole bunch of areas of linguistics, but people found the stuff that I was writing about internet language particularly interesting. I felt like there was more there to write than just one article could kind of cover the whole topic. Um, And I started getting approached by literary agents to say, have you considered writing this in a longer form? And I was like, well, now that you have drawn this nice path for me of how I might be able to do that, (laughs) this seems like a thing that I could possibly do.
0: Yeah. Did you ever feel like, I mean, even writing this book or writing blog posts, but particularly the book, like, you know, a lot of the stuff you're talking about in here, it changes really quickly. Right. And book writing is a relatively long process. Were you ever worried that, like, by the time the book came out, there would be stuff in here that, like, no one says anymore or like nobody does anymore?
1: Oh, yeah. Constantly. I mean, constantly. That was that was one of the big things of, like, how do you write a book, a book about the Internet, the Internet, Uh, (laughs) because those are such different objects. There were a couple things that made that better for me. One of which was the internet is really big. Uh, In addition to being very moving, moving a lot, it's very big. And the problem with writing short articles about the internet or about a particular phenomenon in linguistics is that you have to assume every time you write an article, this might be the very first time someone has ever encountered anything linguistic. Uh, they've ever encountered the idea that you could analyze internet language, the idea that you could do any of this. So you can't really build one thing on another. You can try to do this with like a series of blog posts. When it comes to like writing, uh, like uh, when I write something for Wired or something. I can't assume that anybody has any background knowledge at all, especially about linguistics. And mm. so with the book, I'm able to sit, be like, well, if you're at the end of chapter four, I can assume you read the beginning part of chapter four. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> or: If I you've gone to, cha- <laughs> to chapter seven, I can assume you read chapter two, and maybe you didn't, but if you didn't, you know it's your fault.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people would still complain, but
1: yeah. Well, like, if you didn't, don't blame me for this, because, like, (laughs) I put these chapters in this order, and I know some people have read the book out of order, which, like, is fine. The chapters are fairly modular. But I can still say, OK, I can assume that you now know what the idea of linguistics is, and I don't have to reintroduce it every three pages. Uh, So in some senses, it is actually easier to tackle a particularly large object like the internet is, in a larger format like a book, even though individual internet-y articles can be more of the moment time-wise, there's a limit to how much depth they can have. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing that was actually very helpful. You know, like I don't normally get to make my whole emoji argument. I normally get to make pieces of my emoji argument. And to be able to lay out, here's all of the stuff I think about emoji, which is too long for one article... Uh, you know, now this is the final word. No one else needs to have any thoughts about emoji, right? That's how that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's it.
0: Emoji's now off limits. <laughs> we're,
1: we're done here. Uh, so that part was helpful. The other thing that I did is I read a lot of other people's books that I had written about the internet in previous eras, in the 90s, in the t- early 2000s. And I looked at what they did that made those books seem to date more or less badly. Um. What did you and, learn? yeah, so one of the things that I noticed was that in a lot of eras, there are kind of multiple options for how you phrase things, so you can talk about sort of social media in general or you can talk about blogs in general, or you can talk about um you know the chat format in general as a as a general format or as a general concept, or you can talk about very specific lists of websites, and generally, these specific lists of websites if you if you give a bunch of them um they'll contain a few that are now dead. They'll contain a few that are still alive, and they'll contain a few that are now dead. And it can be difficult on the part of the author to know which ones in your list are going to be alive and are going to be dead. But if you try to keep your conversations to kind of a a more meta level or higher level discussion of, here is chat as a format. You know, chat is still around. Chat has been around since the 90s, uh, well, before the nineties. Mm-hmm. The, the 70s or 80s, depending on how you want to slice it. Um, and if you want to talk about the chat format, even though no one's using, like, MSN Messenger or AIM anymore, you can talk about RIP. chat as a broader format, <laughs> RIP as well. Uh, you can talk about mm-hmm. chat as a broader format, and then even if, like, iMessage, no one's using it in 20 years because they're all using some new thing, it's still about chat as a format regardless of the particular platform it's being used on. So mm-hmm. a lot of what I tried to do was, okay, let's talk about the formats rather than uh, the thing. So for an, an interesting example of this is TikTok became cool.
0: Yes, um, I was going to
1: ask you about TikTok. <laughs> TikTok became cool as I was in copy edits. No! <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in copy edits, you, you can change some things, but you can't change anything that changes what page anything's on. Or right. even really what line anything's on, because that has, like, later page repercussions. Uh, because the index has already been made, and if you change the pages that stuff is on, the index will become false, and so you can't make the index false. And so you can fix typos, or if you have to change something that's a little bit longer, you have to, like, adjust the rest of the stuff on the line so it keeps the line the same length. Um, and that's just how you can that that's just what you need to do at that stage. And so TikTok was becoming cool. And I was like, damn, is there any way that I can shoehorn like, one mention of TikTok into this book somehow uh, so that I can show that I, I knew what TikTok was? Um, and what I realized when I was trying to do this, I did go through the whole book uh, and was like, is there anywhere here that I could add TikTok, that I could say something about TikTok? Um, what I realized is that I had also not talked a lot about other more current video platforms. I had also not talked extensively about YouTube, for example, which has mm. always been a thing. I had just been saying things like video. Mm. Uh, I had already always already been saying online video. I hadn't been talking about. I'd mentioned like the stories format, like the Snapchat stories, which became Instagram stories. I'd mentioned that in a place. I'd mentioned Vine once. Uh, also, R.I.P. Um, I know, <laughs> R.I.P. I <laughs> I'd mentioned YouTube a couple times, kind of in passing, but I also hadn't done a deep dive into the culture of YouTube. And so, at the point at which I'd already chosen to not do a deep dive into the culture of YouTube, I was kind of insulated from not doing a deep dive into the culture of TikTok either, because neither of these things were things that I I had covered. So, it wasn't so much a question about currentness, it was a question of, like, how much am I talking about online video as a format? And I I chose to talk about online video as a generic video thing, in part to insulate myself against the future (laughs) invention of TikTok, which I couldn't anticipate. Uh, So I was it was an interesting test of my kind of insulation strategy there. And like the other thing is, is I didn't want to just, you know, if if I had figured out a way to say the word TikTok once, I would have I would have done that. But it it didn't didn't come up. But it's unclear to me whether TikTok is going to be a thing in five or ten years. Right. Because it's still the kind of like trendy, especially those like trendy teen apps, you know, like who's using Yik Yak anymore? Remember Yik Yak? No one uses Yik Yak mm-hmm. Or Yo, Yo, or like some of these. Like there have been like um there was this uh this, this, this like secrets app, mm-hmm. um Peach, Peach. Yeah, there's been a bunch of them. Um the one that there's one that got bought by Facebook. There have been other apps that have had this like meteoric rise, but also meteoric fall. Um. And it's not quite clear to me whether TikTok is going to be popular in in 10 years. And so maybe having included it would make the book look more dated in the long term, even if in the short term it makes it look very, look very trendy. Um, and also, I didn't want to... If I was going to include something like this, I want to include like the analysis of it, not just like, this is a thing that exists. And so at that right. point, you're also waiting for the academic cycle to catch up, which means you've got to wait a couple years for something to become popular until someone can like finish their dissertation about it. <laughs> So, like, Mm -hmm. the, you know, Instagram and Snapchat stories format was already popular while I was writing the book, but I'm told there are some people who are writing their dissertations on it now, but they haven't finished them yet. They haven't published stuff that I can cite. So that's also, you're kind of waiting for the academic uh, side to catch up, and especially something like video, where I can do some of my own analysis of Twitter, but to do detailed analysis of the video format is just, you know, the kind of work that you want to distribute among a lot of people. Mm. Right, right,
0: right. You talk about that, I think, in the either chapter one or the intro, right, about, like, the challenges of analyzing certain forms and video and audio are hard, whereas, like, the internet, like, the written internet is actually, like, pretty easy because it's all just right there. You, know, you can just yeah. look at it.
1: The written part, part of the internet is really easy. And that's why, um, you know, like, somebody could also do a giant analysis of podcasts. Do I talk about podcasts in this book? Not particularly. Do I have a podcast? Mm-hmm. Do I know that podcasts exist? Yes. <laughs> but the book is kind of about internet language as this informal written form, because that's the part that has this really sufficient time depth to say, OK, there is a bunch of research you can cite. There's a bunch of stuff you can look at. You can look at stuff that's not tied to a particular format. And somebody could do uh, analysis of the linguistics of podcasts. I'm sure it would be very interesting. I would love to read this analysis if anyone was working on it. Um, but I don't know of one at the moment. <laughs> so, right. And it's the kind of thing that, again, is very difficult to do uh, if you're you know, just sitting around... Coding stuff yourself—it's the kind of thing that I'd want someone to write a dissertation about, which I could then cite. <laughs> so, right, right. outsource uh, that work to the graduate students. <laughs> outsource outsource <laughs> that, to the graduate students. I love graduate students. Like, you're great. Please write a dissertation about this stuff. <laughs> um, well, I, I've heard from a lot of students who be like, "Yeah, I'm going to like use your book as like my uh, to help with my lit review. Like, I'm going to go through your bibliography and like go th- search up all those sources. Which i It's oh, really nice cool. to be able to kind of like put all of the sources. I mean, not every single source, but like many, many of the sources that I was aware of kind of all in one spot so that people who are doing this kind of research can say to their profs like, hey, look, you know, traditional professor, you know, professor old school, like there are actually sources about internet linguistics and I can cite them.
0: Totally. Well, this actually kind of, you know, this, this conversation about like, you know, waiting on the academic cycle and not wanting to be too specific so that the book doesn't feel dated actually gets a little bit to a question that Michael asked in the book club chat, which was like, how do you figure out or, or pick what feels like an actual kind of like real shift in language and not just something that's so either specific to a format or flash in the pan or like just it happens so quickly and then it goes away that it's not really worth talking about? Like, how do you decide what, it feels like enough to constitute like okay this is a real shift versus just like a one time thing or something that you know people only did in their away messages on aim and it's just like so specific it's not worth talking about
1: yeah it that's a you know that is that is a that is a major question that uh, i was kind of trying to look at constantly part of it is um in many cases what i was trying to do another thing that i was trying to do to make the book date less quickly was expand the time scale of what i was talking about in the book as a whole because uh I figured, you know, I wrote the book between basically 2015 to 2018, pretty much, because I, you know, one has to finish a book, book and put it into production before um, it it does this kind of thing. So I did a few b- minor kind of copy edits in 2019, but it was pretty much 2015 to 2018 that I worked on. Um, and uh, I didn't want it to be like, here's a list of the cool memes from 2015 to 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because yeah. that is dated immediately. Like the book comes out in 2019, when people are like, oh, that was so six months ago. Uh, that, is, that is dated immediately. And so one way to make the book less dated in some respects is to expand the time depth. So rather than just trying to cover, say, a three-year time span, to say, if I'm going to try to cover a two-decade or sometimes a century or more of a time span, um, like if you look back at the history of sarcastic punctuation marks, there's, there's a desire for this as early as the 1500s. Uh, or if you look back at the use of all caps for emphasis, like that's at least a hundred years old. And so, as far as I could trying to find historical antecedents of stuff, or if that's you know chat going back to um, you know this this bizarre '70s uh, five box talkomatic style chat, which I made a diagram of in the book. Um, the if I try to go back to include more time depth, wherever like kind of as far back as I can in any particular domain, then you're reading a book that's about the last few decades and the last century or so, and sometimes hundreds of years, if I for particular things where I'm, I'm able to go back that far. And so, if you read that book in five years' time, you're still going back a century, or you're still going back a few decades. And so, it's not as immediately obvious that like last year isn't in it, in, in for mm-hmm. for the reader of 2025, <laughs> where right. oh the 2020s aren't in this. Um, so, if something seemed to have a historical antecedent, or if it could be put in a broader historical context. Um, then it was interesting to it was it was it made more sense to try to include as part of something, or if it was, could be part of some sort of like bigger narrative around some level. I mean, there's also I did a certain amount of um, you know hanging out on the internet myself, asking people. Sometimes I just you know like put up on Twitter. Uh, you've probably seen this because I know we've we all each other on Twitter. Uh, like, mm-hmm. hey, people, talk to me about the ampersand. What do you think about the ampersand? You know, and sometimes that means that people would just. Would end up sending me a link to a paper that I didn't know about. Sometimes that means that people would just tell me their personal uses of it, or they'd say, "Oh, I started using it in you know ten years ago on this site." Or you kind of get, because there's no faster way to um, do <laughs> research in some case than to assert a slightly wrong opinion on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true so sometimes i'd put up a poll and i wouldn't necessarily be committed to the results of that particular poll uh twitter poll but it would be enough people and i would say like you know do you use it this thing for this or for that or for other please reply and you'd get a bunch of other responses and then you could make a new poll that's like do you use it for this thing or that thing or this other thing um and kind of keep refining that until you got a at least a set of poll options that seem to reflect most of what people were doing um so you can kind of I think of the book as written in dialogue with people on the internet because you know you no matter how much I kind of do my own googling or do my own researching or do my own lit reviews, somebody being able to be like, well, I was part of this community, you know, I was on this b b s back in the eighties and we did this, or I was you know this was what my friends did on this thing, uh, and so you can kind of get a more rounded perspective by saying, you know, what were people doing? I also tried to encourage like especially, like, undergraduate students or early-stage grad students to, like, send me their papers that they'd written about internet linguistics, because the stuff that people thought was important enough to write, even, like, a class paper or, like, a, you know, internal paper that they didn't try to get published or a conference presentation or something, the stuff that people thought was important enough to, like, write up for something like that is also an interesting reflection of, like, where, you know, what people are thinking is important uh, and what people are mm-hmm. thinking is is worth trying to, to figure out. Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't... I don't claim to, like, know everything about every single subculture on the Internet. I think that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm sure there are some things people say, well, you didn't cover this thing. And I like it. I am like good. I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, I couldn't cover everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have described
0: one of my interviewing techniques when I'm interviewing scientists for the radio. And, like, I want them to say something again. And they're being a little bit ornery is I just say something wrong to them i'll be like oh so so is it this and i'll say it like i know it's wrong and they'll be like no and then they'll usually say it like a in a way that's usable for recording Mm. which is like a fun trick to trick scientists into getting slightly angry with you so they'll actually (laughs) say the thing that you want them to say
1: (laughs) this is nefarious and i like it
0: oh it works so well yeah it's great uh it's my little interviewing tip um now i'm
1: looking back at my other interviews being like are people doing this on me (laughs)
0: Ah, no you're good you're easy to interview that's the thing Uh, it's always people who are like they'll give you a really technical answer or something and like you just can't you know what I mean you need them to just say it like a little bit more simply and get break them out of like whatever rehearsed thing they thought they were going to say
1: um
0: I'm curious, like, so, you know how when you, like, and this is, I think, like a human thing where if you hang out with somebody and they use a lot of slang, you'll start to kind of use the slang that they use. And And, yeah. you know, you, you talk about that a little bit in the book, too. Like, people will kind of, like, adopt each other's, you know, lingo or, or, or you know, abbreviations or even emoji or whatever. Um, did you find when you were writing this book, like, as you were looking at the ways other people were using it, did you find your own patterns changed or were there things that you, like, found yourself doing as you were researching the book?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, um, all the time. One <laughs> one example of this is, um, so I cited uh, Johnny Sun a couple times as an example of people doing you know internet slang things um, because he was you know he's he's fairly visible, so you don't feel like you're taking like here's some random person who has 20 followers on Twitter, and now I'm going to cite them in my book and make them very visible. Maybe they didn't ask for that, um, right. <laughs> and also. I had got to know Johnny over the court via Twitter over the course of writing the book, so I was able to actually like ask him some of the "What were you thinking when you said this in 2014?" <laughs> um, like, "What were you thinking when you when you said it in this particular way?" So I was able to have more of that meta sort of thing because it's an interesting question of like, "Am I going to cite these sort of like disembodied bits of internet slang and how am I going to do that?" You know, um, mm-hmm. and what I found that uh, for Johnny in particular, uh, he. In kind of early early stage uh, tweets, he he used to tweet in this sort of very um, kind of stylized, incoherent style where he would make like deliberate typos and he would use deliberate sort of respellings to convey a certain type of tone of voice. And that's the style that he uses in his book. Everyone's an alien when you're an alien too. The sort of Jomny style, uh, where he even writes his own name as Jomney instead of Johnny. Um, and then, as I was writing this book, it was very inconvenient for me. <laughs> <laughs> because he was switching styles uh, and so i was like oh i want to analyze this thing and then he was onto doing something different which is which is fine people are allowed to change i'm not you don't have to stay the way you were just so that to make it e- easier for the linguists <laughs> <laughs> but it was like damn it, johnny uh, so um he switched to this style that was less about the sort of deliberate uh respellings and more about this sort of like Um, both very sincere and very enthusiastic and also very, um, sort of, uh, so we have like a, like all lowercase, but like way more exclamation marks than his former style had had. Um, and less of the sort of deliberate respelling, more exclamation marks, still all lowercase, both of them had been all lowercase. Um, and this sort of like, uh and still a very approachable style. You know, there's something about saying things without standard capitalization and punctuation that makes you seem like you're not standing on ceremony and like you don't have uh, a stick up your back and you're not going to be harshing on other people for their typos because you're already participating in this sort of relaxed style. So I definitely found myself just... I think this was a, a movement on the internet in general, especially a shift that happened on Twitter, where if you look back at people's tweets from like... 2013, they'll often be, you know, all beginning with capitals and, uh, you know, have this very sort of standardized style. And this sort of lowercase, um, sort of semi-joking, semi-relaxed, semi, semi, um, you know, kind of laid-back, but sometimes ironic, sometimes just very chill style is a style that's developed, I think, uh, for a lot of people, and not just myself, but I noticed it because I was specifically analyzing Johnny as an example of it, um that I would do this more and I would use more exclamation marks and especially that like some of the time I still tweet with like an initial cap uh, and like here's an announcement, and then sometimes I'm deliberately doing the like now this is all in lowercase because I'm joking or I'm being ironic or I'm just trying to seem very approachable. Like If someone tweets to me that they like my book, I'm often going to reply in lowercase, especially if they tweeted to me in lowercase in the first place, because I don't want to be like, here's me being a fancy author. <laughs> I want to be like, thank you so much. I'm a real person.
0: Right. It's that same thing, right, where you're matching what other people are doing, right? Yeah. Like, if they come to you and, you know, and say, and like, you see this in emails, right? If, like, they someone signs their name Dr. So-and-so, I will try to, like, refer to them as Dr. So-and-so as opposed to, like, you know, their first name or whatever it is. You try, like, you know, you want to kind of match people exactly. where they are. And if someone,
1: are. especially because a lot of people tweet me about my book, so I'm like... Uh, uh, if somebody tweets me with a book and they use an emoji, I'll try to use an emoji back. Maybe not the same one, uh, maybe a different one. Or if they're using exclamation marks, I'll use exclamation marks back instead of the emoji or something like that. Because I just want I want them to feel comfortable uh, and I want them to feel like they're you know talking with someone who who understands them.
0: Yeah, a question that Hector asked that kind of relates to this in terms of like the ways that things sort of creep into our lexicon. Or you might hear somebody else say something. Um, Hector asked about. If you've looked at all on anything or any studies about Spanglish and sort of how Spanglish has entered into daily writing or communication in sort of U.S. English um, and like how certain people, especially I think I've seen it a lot on Twitter where people will like add in not just Spanish, but like other languages can, can kind of come in a little bit more easily, I think maybe with like when you don't have to know how to pronounce it or like you, you can just kind of like use the words that you've seen other people use. Do, has there any been, been any work on that element?
1: Um, I know that there are uh, linguists who've done research on mock Spanish and the sort of like use of uh, the use of Spanish by very Anglo people in this sort of like um, mockery or making fun register. The kind of like I think of like Hasta la Vista, baby," where you're like really mm. not trying to be a Spanish speaker. You're not trying to signal that you're a Spanish speaker when you quote that line uh, from a movie. You're just like signaling. This sort of thing, and it can get interpreted as mockery there, but I think there are uses that are not necessarily mocking as well. I don't have a lot of context for the spoken version of that because I'm not American. I don't live in the u s <laughs> um right. and so, like I live in Montreal, so my context for like people switching languages is all like English and French uh in Montreal, which I have lots of thoughts about, but like the I've tried to tweet about them occasionally, but like there are just very few people on the internet who have that sort of context mm-hmm. for them. <laughs> Maybe I haven't found them, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't tweet as much about French as I as I would. Uh I think it is there are aspects in which it's easier because you can you know you can pause to look something up. Uh you can use, you know, you can use Google Translate to kind of help help you spell things. Uh I have uh French and English both enabled on my phone's keyboard. Uh, and I actually find it faster to type in French on my phone than on my computer because I get partway through spelling the word and my phone's like, here's where you wanted the accents, and I'm like, oh great, thank you. So I did. Um but of course, that only works for the formal variety of French. And the informal variety, uh, like French text speak, I am really not uh, good at. <laughs> I'm really not oh, up interesting. to. interesting. Because I was never taught it in school. It is very, it is much more similar to the spoken version. Uh, there's all these words that get dropped. There's all these words that get kind of smushed together. I mean, kind of like how English speakers use like don't know and gonna and have to and all of the stuff. Um, French speakers also do stuff like this where they smush stuff together and you read it you see it on the page and you're like, what is that? And then you try to pronounce it and you're like, oh, it's this word. <laughs> um, so uh, one example is if you say, you know, in, in a formal French, like what you, what you learn in school, you, you learn to say je suis, which means I am. Um, so very common thing to say. And uh, this sometimes gets pronounced chui, just je suis," with like the, the E gets dropped and it's just J-S-U-I-S. Um but then sometimes this even gets re-spelled C-H-U-I-S, shui, Um, because that's what it sounds like. The S at the end is silent, because it's always silent. Um, but that that's what it sounds like. Uh that's what people write on Twitter and in TechSpeak and stuff like this. They'll sometimes write shui the same way you might write like Ima. But you don't have like French French classes do not teach you shui, or it would be like an English as a second language class teaching people IMA, which they're probably not going to. Maybe they should, though, because people actually use it, and you don't necessarily know what's going on when your friends are texting you uh, if you don't <laughs> know this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's not yeah. part of the sort of canonized vanilla, uh, you know, formal variety. So it doesn't right. get taught as much. Um, but I'm still like, yeah, I, I, I text like a, you know, dictionary in French. <laughs> I don't text <laughs> like a normal person. <laughs>
0: It's so funny. I learned Spanish um, in Costa Rica and they use a very formal version of Spanish um, Mm -hmm. where you basically don't ever use the informal you, like unless you are super, super close to someone. Um, and then I went to Spain and I started speaking in Spanish People people were like, what? like They basically were like it sounds like you're speaking in old English Because <laughs> like, I was just like so formal A because I was like you know I don't know I'm like a visitor I don't know people But also like because I learned a much more formal version of Spanish um, And they would tease me People that would tease me being like where are you from Like where did you learn Spanish <laughs> Like what is this yeah, because I didn't know any of this language. Yeah.
1: Well, and there are so many, there are so many different varieties of of many of these, especially the larger languages that are spoken in various different areas that have their different varieties. And people are like, oh, you speak language X, that doesn't mean you speak it the same way that people, um, right? You know, speak it there. Uh, the it's really fun for me in going to France, because there people hear my accent and they're like, immediately, you must be Canadian. Whereas normally traveling mm. as an English speaker, they're like, oh, are you American? I don't have to be like, no, it's Canadian. Whereas people immediately <laughs> immediately clock based on the accent, like where I'm from in a French context, which is kind of interesting. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with the, going back to sort of mock Spanish, are you familiar with the, this is now old, speaking of dating myself via meme, mm-hmm. um, but there was, do you remember the Twitter account El Bloombito?
1: I don't think I Did you
0: ever Okay so this might have just been in New York. I was living in New York at the time and um Michael Bloomberg was the <gasps> oh, mayor. Oh wait. Do you remember he like yeah. addressed there was a there was going to be a hurricane and he addressed the city and he like gave his speech in English and then he like attempted to give the same speech or abbreviated version of it in Spanish and it truly sounded like this man had never heard Spanish before it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this was bad
1: like, it was like this like this like bad fake Spanish account like pretending to be Michael Bloomberg speaking Spanish yes yes, yes I just remember yes. what, like, what it was called yeah yeah
0: yeah El Blumbito. yeah and it was so like it just is like a really um, because it was truly a, a, like I don't know what how any Any of his aides allowed him to to make that speech. It was so bad; like it was not only embarrassing but also incomprehensible. If you actually speak Spanish, there was no way that you were going to understand what he was saying. Um, And but yeah, I just remember that account like and kind of it tweeting in these like pseudo sort of Spanish but not Spanish, like just to make fun of Bloomberg, which like uh, was deserved. Um, Yeah,
1: no, it's it's been. I mean, the. yeah, I think there's there a couple of I tried to look I tried to look at much st- as about as much stuff in other languages uh for, like about the internet as I was able to find. It's just unfortunately there was not that much of it right. um because I think the internet especially historically has been even more English dominated than it is now. Um there is definitely an increase in people using languages other than English on the internet, which I think is very good, but the research lags behind that. Um, so there was some research on code switching on Twitter, which found that people were more likely to start a tweet in a larger language and then reply to someone else's tweet in a in a smaller, more minority language, uh, and then they were able to kind of keep that reply chain going. In a smaller language, whereas the inverse was less likely to be the case. So it seemed like when they were addressing sort of a bigger and more general audience, they're more likely to use um, a, a larger language, which isn't necessarily English. I think this in this context, they were looking at like Dutch versus Limburgish, which in which context Dutch is clearly the mi- majority language. Um, and finding people doing uh, replies, if they knew that that person also spoke Limburgish, they were able to say, okay, like here's the you know you can you can end up in this sort of narrower context because you don't want as many people to be able to see what's going on so um there's there's been some stuff on that um the yeah and like a lot of languages are uh borrowing words from English these days because of globalization and so forth uh so you have this sort of like you know, mixed hybrid thing, which is definitely the case in French. Like, I hear a lot of people kind of dropping English words in their French or speaking kind of a combination of English and French. So I expect the same thing is probably true in Spanish, but I don't have as much, like, personal uh, experience of it.
0: Yeah. I think, like, a lot of – some of the folks in the book club did note, like, that they use a lot of Spanish words in English and vice versa, depending on where they are and, you know, where they grew up and and things like that. Um, Speaking of sort of, like, dropping, like, words moving in and out of sort of, like, vocal speech – from the internet and and vice versa. Libby actually asked a really interesting question. Um, she asked like you know uh, there's like a lo- clearly um, informal writing is heavily influenced by informal speech. So like you write mm-hmm. like so with lots of O's, right? Like you've talked about this in the book. Um, do you have favorite examples? Maybe of it going the other way, where like we now say OMG or like I've heard kids say that's fire, which I assume means like the fire emoji. I'm an old person, so maybe that's not correct. But, like, I think that's what they're talking about. But, like, do you have, are there other examples of, like, think, internet speak kind of, like, then moving into our, like, out loud speech?
1: Yeah, so, like, acronyms, definitely a big one uh, in that, you you know, not just have, like, oh, uh, OMG. Um, there was an anecdote that I heard from somebody the other day that said that their kid uh, found out that LOL had originally stood for laughing out loud and was like, what are you kidding? What, are you kidding me? That's fake. Like, that's weird. This like an eight-year-old. <laughs>
0: what did he think that it was
1: it's just like a thing you said just
0: like a word oh i mean like what what does what
1: does okay stand for and especially because younger people often say say lol instead of lol lol is just like a word you just say it yeah uh so which is one of the reasons that my money is really on lol for surviving into the next century because i think it's People don't really think of it as an acronym, like especially younger people. It's just like something that you say in a particular pragmatic context, and that's a really good way for it to stick around. Is for it to become really under the radar like that, Um, and like if kids are learning it before they're even really, I don't say before they're using the internet because, but their younger kids are often using the internet more as consumers than as communicators. Uh, So they're like watching YouTube videos or they're like telling Alexa to like play them a song, but they're not so much texting their friends. or if they're doing so, or they don't have their own devices, so they're using them in the kind of, like, family-controlled, mediated context until they learn how to read and become, like, tweens or so and start, like, messaging with their friends more. Um, because you don't have, like – you still don't have, like, two-year-olds texting a lot. <laughs> uh, sometimes they'll like, they'll, like, take their parents' phone and send, like, key smash to somebody else on the parents' phone. But, like, it's, it's still a fairly limited context. Um, and, like, that's not how they're learning lol. Um, they're learning it from their from their peers around the same age. So you have the stuff like that, like IDK, I say all the time, BTW. Um, the uh, emoji saying out loud... So you also have emoji and punctuation marks being said out loud sometimes. So especially people saying, like, hashtag awkward or something. Um, hashtag fail. Uh, one example that I had that I put in the book was hashtag mom joke. Uh, mm. So that's, you know, kind of saying, saying punctuation marks out loud. Fire, I'm not completely sure because... I think there's also a use of it that's found in African American English, with that the fire emoji was actually designed to represent. Oh, interesting. So, I'm not sure for any individual person saying that's fire whether they're intending the reverse, like reverse engineered version from the emoji, or whether they're aware of its source in African American English as a spoken thing. But I think there is a spoken thing that was part of what, um, part of what created that. Definitely lit uh, is from African American English, and right. that's. Like, that's a thing that happened before the internet. It happens also on the internet, but it's not exclusively an internet thing, uh, appropriation from African American English.
0: Right, right, right. I guess, like, keeping it 100.
1: Keeping it 100. So that's definitely uh, an expression from African American English. Um, And the, uh, like, there are particular emoji uses. So, like, the clap emoji between every word, that's from an actual gesture of physical clapping uh, between every word that uh, that is found in that community. Right, 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 right. So, but it gets spread through social media to people like me who may be completely unaware of those origins until somebody tells me explicitly that that's where it came from.
0: Right, right. Um, speaking of emoji, um, you know how different platforms sort of like render emoji differently. Oh yeah, and like some of them look really different. Samsung. And some of them I hate. <laughs> Samsung is really weird. I don't know what. Is do you on. have a favorite, or do you have some, do you have do you have feelings about like which one's the best one?
1: The one that I used for the purpose of the book was Twemoji, um, which is Twitter's open source emoji platform, which if anyone read all the way to the very end, after the index, <laughs> uh, there is a page that says uh, a note about uh, the the type, which says things about, you know, there's a paragraph or two about the typeface. And then there's a paragraph about the emoji that we used. Uh, which I lobbied hard to include, they're like, do you want to put a note about the type? And I'm like, look, the font itself is pretty boring. We can put a note about it. But I need this page to exist so that we can also put a short paragraph about which emoji they are, because someone is going to ask me about this. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I've had a few people like photograph that and like tweet that to me. And I'm like, yeah, you are why this page exists.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, so we used two emoji for the book for a couple of reasons. One is that many of the emoji platforms seem to try to have a personality. Um, like, Microsoft does this weird thing where they put, like, very thick black borders around all of their emoji because they want them yeah, to look like why? they're from Microsoft. And it's like weird. it's You can see why at an internal company level you'd make this decision because, like, we want to be branded. Um, but at a user level, it's extremely user unfriendly. Um, and Twemoji is one of the few platforms that said, like, so they're by Twitter, but what they basically did is they looked at the other sets of emoji, especially kind of the, like, Apple emoji, which are very popular, and they kind of tried to do something that was mostly just an average of what everybody else was doing, or a consensus of what everyone else was doing. And they didn't try to aggressively assert their own personality, they just tried to do something very straightforward. Um, and so, you know, partly, you know, if I tried to use Apple, Apple might have been able to sue me or something like that, because they, their emoji are proprietary. Um, but also, um, so I wanted to use something that was open source, but also they don't have as, as an aggressive and a personality as any of the other platforms. They're really just trying to do something that is like reads as fairly normal to most people on most types of devices because Mm. they're trying to make the emoji look okay on Twitter, whether you're on an Android or an iPhone, whether you're on a Microsoft computer or a uh, Apple computer, they're just trying to make the emoji on Twitter look okay for everybody. And so many of the other platforms aren't considering as much cross-device compatibility, especially when I started writing the book. like They've been getting better. They've been converging a lot more. Um, but this kind of convergence... Twimoji was one of the first platforms to kind of do that sort of convergence, because like, I just want an emoji that looks like an emoji. I don't want to have to think about what platform I'm using when I'm looking at it. I just want it to look like what my friends are going to see. Totally, uh, And that's something that hasn't been as much on the radar of the people who are actually creating those platforms. Um, the other very practical reason why I use Twemoji is that their designs are flat. Like, they don't have gradients and shading on them. Um, and I knew that because this book was going to get printed in grayscale, um, at least for the, the paper version, that it would be easier to see what was in the pictures if they had less uh, graphic detail. <laughs>
0: So a totally. no, very
1: practical reason in that respect, and I, yeah. I personally like emoji because I spend a lot of time on Twitter, uh, so they're they're familiar to me. But it was also for this kind of like compatibility and visibility reasons that I wanted to pick them. But like that doesn't mean somebody else's emoji are wrong. I don't want to go after that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, some are wrong. I I will say. I
1: mean, <laughs> no. Samsung in particular. So like the Microsoft like thick black line is weird, and Samsung in particular like picks really weird ways of designing all of their emoji. Like, their faces all look different from anybody else's faces. Like, I just yeah. want them all to converge on the same thing. And it is really totally. unuser-friendly that they don't.
0: <laughs> I do remember, and this has gotten better, but I remember back when Gchat was, like, a, a very more popular. I don't think that many people are still, like, chatting in Gchat. But for while, I was chatting in Gchat all the time. Um, and every so often, I would, like, make... I would do a smiley face with, like, not even looking for an emoji. You know, you do, like, colon, mm-hmm. close parentheses. And sometimes Gchat would convert the my, like, you know, emoticons into their emoji. And every so often it would, like be a complete mismatch between like what yeah. I had intended and what was delivered. And I would have to be like, that's not, wait, no, no. Like, that's
1: no. not what I meant. <laughs> I really don't like it when platforms automatically convert your stuff into an emoji. I want, if I exactly. want to type you a plain text emoticon, I want to type a plain text emoticon. If I want an emoji, I'll go into the emoji character picker menu. And like, I get yeah. how back in the day when people were less, you know, less opinionated about this stuff. Converting might have been a good idea, but I don't like anything that changes what I type. Well, the way I type it is the way I want to see it. I also really just like the chat platforms. It's like WhatsApp does this, Slack does this, um, where if you type something between like asterisks, it turns it into bold.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: like. Excuse me. Right. <clears throat> like if I say like nods in asterisks, I don't want that to be converted into bold because I meant the thing with the asterisks. Right.
0: Um, I do that with the squiggly thing where it's like it's like for me it's like, ooh, magic lines, and then it crosses it out. Yeah. And I'm like, no. And that's it's, not it's what so I want. Different. No, 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 it's not <laughs> at all.
1: And I think the thing is, is like the the designers or the you know programmers who are implementing that kind of thing think of it as like markdown, like, oh, I'm gonna implement these like rich formatting options. And that's fine if you're typing in like medium or something and you want like markdown to work. I get that. If you're typing in like a text editor, Then maybe you want your asterisk to turn something into bold. But if you're typing in a chat program, people have gotten accustomed to chat programs just not having any rich formatting. And I think they prefer it that way. Like, this is one of the reasons I still like Twitter. Like, Twitter DMs are really weird because they're, like, not actually a very good chat platform. But one of the things they don't do is mess with me. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. never convert anything into anything else. And I really appreciate that. Whereas, like, Facebook converts stuff and... Slack converts stuff and WhatsApp converts stuff. And Twitter just lets me, like, exactly what I type is exactly what the other person gets. Like, either I make them, either I go get an emoji for them or I type a plain text emoticon. And either way, they get exactly what I typed. And I really appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, there's, yeah, I feel like I've had so many, like, I like to do the, like, asterisk. what, What is the name of the squiggly thing? Tilde. Tilde, uh, like asterisk tilde, asterisk tilde, as like like you know, emph- like fancy emphasis, right? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it's like, like bold and strike through. And I'm just
1: like, yeah, no, no, look. no, no, no! It's not bold and strike through. It is sparkles. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, um, one of the things that I hope for is if this book manages to finally give me enough of a like platform or like clout or influence that I can get in some sort of like shadowy back room with whoever makes this decision and say no, <gasps> yes. stop. Yeah. This isn't one of my right. like life goals. Is like I just want to become famous enough. <laughs> Emotes but I like can tell, yeah. <laughs> tell the people who are converting my tildes into strike throughs to stop doing that. Don't do that anymore.
0: It's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that that happens too because it's extremely annoying.
1: Well, we're doing so many people a favor, right? Like, it's not that I just, I'm just doing this for my own personal reasons, but I've had this conversation with many people about how annoying it is and I'm like, I, someday, I will stand up for all of us. <laughs> there you go. That and also, <laughs> like, any
0: do. animating emoji when I don't want... I did not ask oh. for an animated emoji. I never want the emoji to be animated. The
1: only... um. Just to go old school G-chat again, the only emoji animation that I really liked was, like, back in the very early, like, G-talk days. Is it the lobster? Well, no. There was this thing where they would, you would type, like, colon, um, close parenthesis or something, and then it would just, like, you, it, you'd you send, it would just, like, rotate them so they would be facing, like, an actual face.
0: Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, And it wouldn't yeah. do
1: anything else. It would just rotate them. And, like, if you type, like, the heart, like, a, like um, less than three, it would just, like, rotate it and, like tinge it slightly red that is the only case of like automatic yeah. stuff with formatting or emoji or anything that has actually been good that one is the only one that's good all of the rest of them are bad
0: um, and like I did like the lobster where the lobster you, was you really like, cute. the lobster was fun
1: that was like yeah, a little types, easter egg like, though very difficult yeah. like this very complicated <laughs> <Yeah>. thing <laughs> with like the claws <laughs> and stuff like it would, it would do that and like the heart and the thing and I remember when that the first time that happened I was like whoa this is so cool it's like done the thing uh but then when it started changing them instead into, like, the blobs, I was just like, what? No, this is bad. This is this really is yeah.
0: bad. Um. I did have, speaking of the heart, I had a really interesting conversation recently with some friends about the various colored hearts and what each one is for. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you have, like, all the different kinds of hearts. You have, the like, yellow and green. And somebody noticed that, like... Uh, y- people were using the yellow heart a lot, like in in this like certain context, and where we were talking about like well, a, like w- red heart is for like romantic love, and yellow heart is like for friend love, and like they just like there's even just the different colors people use differently, which I think is so interesting.
1: Yeah, I had so I was I was at a party recently, and as 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 you people do when I'm at a. <laughs> party um a couple people said um hey if I like show you my phone uh in my most recently used emoji can you like tell me what this means about me
0: like horoscopes
1: yeah and I was like emoji horoscopes the the only thing was is I was like I will do this with people IRL like if I see people IRL again I would do it again but I cannot offer to do this via the internet because I would just get too many um but it was super interesting cuz sometimes i'd say like oh it seems like he used this heart more and the person was like oh yeah that's because that's the that's the same color as the logo of my podcast so we use that for the podcast so like oh, people often have these like very niche meanings for the hearts. Like this heart is the col- is my podcast color heart, po- uh, or like this heart is like my sports team color heart. Um, so I use it when I'm saying I like this thing. Or somebody was like using the like cat heart eyes emoji, and I was like, oh, you seem to use this more than the rest of the people in this group. Uh, and the person was like, oh yeah, it's because I use it whenever I'm saying like I love your cat, or like look at that cat. When people post pictures of their cats, I comment with that emoji. So. Sometimes people have these sort of like niche subcultural meanings. Like I think there is, there would be a certain, there's a certain extent of which like I often use like the two hearts emoji these days. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Which seems to me like it's kind of like sending hearts towards someone or like moral supports, moral support. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem romantic to me. Like I send it to all sorts of friends. Um, like, you know, here's, here's my kind of moral support, like, uh, set of hearts. Um, but I think people, and people kind of get like fatigue with one set. So they get like, they get bored of the plain red heart. And so they switch to a different color or something to be like their signature, uh, heart. Um, and they kind of like, they cycle through a little bit. Um, but then you also have particular communities. Like there's, um, like, yeah, there's, there's like one slack that I'm in where like lots of people use the yellow heart. Uh, and it just I feel like is that the xoxo slack? because yes. that's the one I'm thinking of too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah.
0: uses the yellow everyone heart. Uses that the one. yellow and heart in like, yeah.
1: xoxo slack, and I don't know why, but like everyone does.
0: Yeah, and now I do Will it too. you indulge me if I send you my if I send you my most frequently used emoji?
1: <laughs> you should send them to me now, and I'll do it on air.
0: Okay, okay, wait. Okay, let me let me send them to you via the chat here in Slack. Yeah. Let's see. How do I do this? Where is it? I should, like take a screen cap or something.
1: Because it's much more fun for me to, like, talk it through because then I can, like, ask you questions than it is. Right,
0: right, Okay. I think I just sent it to you. Do you see it?
1: Uh, Skype. Chat. Skype. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Okay. 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 So, um... (laughs) Okay, so you've got some you've got some very typical emoji. Uh, so you've got like the red heart, which is very typical. You've got the yellow heart, which presumably is from XOXO Slack, which you were just XOXO, talking about. XOXO, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got the green heart as well, which like you probably use for some particular purpose.
0: Yes, to me that's like an envy heart. Like that's like I love this, but I also am jealous of it.
1: Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's also just like the heart that, that I use for our particular podcast because it's green. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. Not, we're not envying people. Um, and you've got a couple other typical faces. So you've got the old lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: That's me, the old lady.
1: That's is that you use that for yourself?
0: Yes, that's great. That's fantastic. I have a group text where I am, I, if not actually the oldest, definitely spiritually the oldest, and so I am referred to as the old
1: in my group text. That is really cute. Uh, you've got, uh, you've also got the robot. You probably use that for the for flash yeah, forward. Yeah, flash forward a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got the like Sino evil monkey.
0: Yeah, that's and like I use Ceno that a evil lot.
1: Monkey.
0: Yeah, I use the monkeys a lot.
1: But not the the hear no evil one. Or do you use them all?
0: I do use them all. I use the I use the see no evil one the most when I'm like either embarrassed or like also when I'm excited and I like want to like announce something, but I'm like nervous about it. I'll use mm. it as well. I used it a lot. I use it for my book when I had the book announcement. I used it all the time. I was like, oh, you know, like that kind of. Uh, yeah, that's how yeah, I yeah. feel about it. Yeah.
1: Um, you've also got the hedgehog as your I like love the hedgehog animal. <laughs> yes. What what context do you use that in? I just think it's a great
0: emoji that is underused, so I try to use it as much as possible. It's so cute. It's so cute. Look at it. It is very cute. It's so cute. I use it a lot when I'm, like, texting about, because I have very, like, wild hair, and it is, like, whenever um, I'm talking to people about, like, my hair problems, I am the
1: hedgehog. Oh, that's really cute. I like that. Um, So, so, like, some of the, you've got got a bunch of faces. A lot of people use faces. Hard eyes, like, loudly sobbing. Um, These are pretty common, like, upside down smiley. Uh, You've got the shrug. uh, You've got the thumbs up. These are all really common. Um, you've got so you've got the like female runner, I think. Hmm. Um. So you just yeah. like talking about running?
0: No, it's mostly like that's like a r- run away, run away, run away, uh, like, get, get out, get
1: out, like back right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I use it a lot
0: with the eyeballs, which are actually right next to it, where I just right. feel like, you know, the eyeballs where you're like, I see uh, this and I don't like it and
1: I'm running away. <laughs> nice. Okay. I like that. See that in a comment. Uh, you got the airplane, which is presumably when you're traveling or something. Yeah, is that? lots of
0: traveling. Yeah.
1: Um, and you've got like the sparkle and the mm-hmm. like Thunderbolt. Do you use one of those for flash forward as well?
0: No, I use the sparkle for like exciting, yay, happy. And I use the mm-hmm. Thunderbolt for like sending good vibes. Mm. Oh, that's
1: nice. Okay. Um, and then you've got, like, the skull and the fire.
0: <laughs> fire, I feel like I use the same way most people do. And yeah. then skull, I feel like a lot of it is, like, when you can't believe that something is happening. And it's like, we know that, like, Rachel Zoe had the thing at, for a while. This is, like, pre, it wasn't really as much online, but it was, like, I die. Like Remember when that was, like, the the phrase that a lot of people used? It was, like, for a hot second and, like fashion media and I feel like a lot of it is like, I'm dead, I can't handle this. I'm dead. Yeah, I die okay.
1: I think I think the other ones are pretty straightforward. You've got a bunch of faces. Do you have anything you want to say about yeah. any particular faces? I don't think most people use the money face as often as you do. I don't <laughs> <see> that one <laughs> I use the money face
0: a lot. It's because a lot of the people I text with are also freelancers, and so we text uh, a lot about like making sure they ask for more money. And a lot of what we do is like encouraging people to like ask for more money when nice. something comes up. So I'd use that face a lot. The money yeah, face. I haven't, I
1: haven't seen that one as frequently uh, everywhere, <laughs> but yeah. No, it's really interesting because like most of the time you look at, so you've got um you'll you'll see okay like there's like faces, hands, and hearts are all really popular. Um and then most people will have like a couple that they use that you're like what do you even use that for and they're like I've got this very like niche in particular so <laughs> yeah. I use this one for like the hedgehog <laughs> like the hedgehog exactly or like the like the old lady uh or the yeah. robot or something you're like this is my podcast this is my hair this yeah. is yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah uh,
1: yeah so
0: um thank you for indulging me on that I love that uh that's very fun um, you can keep it I in around to... as you
1: whatever you like I don't care yeah. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I'm Hedgehog Rising, Old Lady Moon. I don't know actually anything about astrology, but I feel
1: like I don't know anything about saying. astrology. But yeah, I feel like it's like <laughs> the new astrology.
0: Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, I have two last questions for you that came from listeners. Um, one is I think from um, I believe. Hector asked this no Michael asked this um, which is what cha- change in written language would you like to see like is there anything that you're just like I would love to see this either go away or like come back or anything like that
1: I know a bunch of uh, there's a small very minority uh, group of of linguists that have been agitating for no apostrophe November
0: <gasps> that is what Michael said he he said I want the apostrophe to disappear in nine out of ten cases
1: because, like, the, the apostrophe, I think, is still kind of useful when you're doing, like, I use it for, um, like, novel coinages or something. So if I say, like, I'm CCing you or I've cc you or something, I'll often use the apostrophe there because, like, CC is such a weird word that to try to put ing or id on it, it just, it feels like the apostrophe helps that. Mm-hmm. But in the case of things like don't or can't or something, everyone knows this. It would be fine without an apostrophe. It would be just fine. Like, to reserve the apostrophe for kind of, like, novel coinages, the same way you sometimes use a hyphen for a novel coinage, and for, like, the well-established contractions, there's no particular reason why you need an apostrophe there. Everyone understands you without the apostrophe. It's just, like, it's just there to be a shibboleth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I feel like I had never even occurred to me that the apostrophe might, like, you know, it, it does feel like a good way to, like, cut down on some of maybe the, um... Grammar policing that people do on the internet about like your 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 it's like it's fine everyone knows what I meant like no it's one's confused like yeah. stop stop being yeah. a jerk
1: <laughs> yeah like you never you never need to like go after someone and tell them about a typo like you you know unless you're literally being hired to be a copy editor but like if you're not being paid to do it don't do it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I have, for a while, I was, like, in a really bad mood, and I would just, like, block anybody who would correct my grammar, because I was like, I'd stop. I get yeah. it. Like, it's yeah. fine.
1: <laughs> it's antisocial behavior. Like, you don't go up to someone and say, like, I hate your nose, or, like, I hate your hat. You also don't need yeah. to do this about yeah. someone's language.
0: Yeah, truly. Like, and also, it's like, you knew what I meant. It's not like you were genuinely confused. You know what right. I mean? Like, and, like sometimes, what, yeah.
1: like, I'll correct myself if I've, like, used a different word, especially if it's, like, an autocorrect word. I'm like, oh, actually, I meant this word. But like. Right. People know what you mean, like it's fine,
0: yeah. Um, and then the last question is Libby asks, um, that like you know, the internet, especially like chat, text, tweet, like you know, all this connectivity and the way that we're writing things was obviously transformative, right? You talk about it in the book, um, and like this isn't it didn't come out of nowhere, it has this history that you talk about, but it did kind of change. Like the way we think about writing um, in some ways. Do you have a sense for any new technologies that might be continue along this line, be just as disruptive, more disruptive? Like what is the like, is there a next Internet that might sort of change language?
1: I don't so much think that there's a next Internet per se, as in as much as there are other things that we can do with the format. So like something that I'm watching right now, especially uh, is things like video and audio um, that we're getting better at producing these, at creating like edited snippets of video that convey a certain type of thing. Um, and if you think about how difficult it was to do video editing, even like 10 or 20 years ago, you know, like you could maybe shoot some video on your like a digital camera in like 2003, <laughs> but to go in and like put like words on top of the video that you were taking, or to like splice certain things together and like do that kinds of stuff. like that was just not, a thing that the average person could do without, like, a special suite of tools that you had to, like, download onto your computer and stuff like that. And the idea that you can do all that editing very quickly from your phone, you can add GIFs to it, you can add words on top, you can, like, do all this kind of stuff, like, as an art form that has, like, all sorts of stylistic bits to it is very interesting, I think. And that's something that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram stories or YouTube or various places where people, like, do stuff to video to create sort of, you know, heightened senses of reality or specific ways of engaging with the world, I think there's an interesting, like, video is in an interesting space where it's getting a lot more democratized than it once was. Um, I mean, you can always do the, like, you know, kind of very future tech looking of, like, maybe AR will do something, or maybe VR will do something, but I think for those it's really too hard to see what that's going to look like from a normal person's perspective, because you don't see, like, normal people just like going around and creating like uh 3d vr stuff maybe someday but like for video normal people are very much creating this and they're very much like doing interesting stuff with a medium that you didn't you see even 10 years ago
0: yeah yeah i do love when people still will like reference a vine like a line from a vine or something like that and i'll be like oh i yeah I remember that and also like that's going to be incomprehensible in five years like no one is going to know what you're talking
1: or about it's going to be comprehensible in the sense that like certain catchphrases that like maybe your yeah, parents use or something you just know as a catchphrase but you don't actually know the, beef? the thing that it's from <laughs> exactly like you're like here's this thing you know of like say like inconceivable like I know that's from Princess yeah. Bride but does everybody maybe some people just think like that's a thing you say
0: <laughs> fair yeah, yeah 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 um well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Um, people can obviously find the book. Obviously, people you're listening to this, you hopefully have read the book. Um, and if you haven't read the book, definitely get it. Where else can people find you?
1: So I am at Gretchen A. McSee on Twitter if you want to see sporadic thoughts or participate in some of the linguistic polls that I inevitably end up running. Uh, I also have my own podcast, which is Lingthusiasm, a podcast that's enthusiastic about linguistics. We have a couple specific episodes that do more behind the scenes stuff about the book. They go into emoji in more detail uh, and go into the the writing process in more detail. So if you go to lingthusiasm.com or search for Lingthusiasm in your uh, podcast apps, you can find them there.
0: Great. And I'll link to all those things in the show notes, et cetera, et cetera, so that people can find it. Um great. Well thank you so
1: much for coming on. The thank podcast. you so much for having so Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun.
0: <laughs> thank you for reading my emoji horoscope.
1: <laughs> Very welcome.
0: <laughs> Okay. That is uh, Gretchen McCulloch, who wrote, again, Because Internet. Um, Highly recommend it. It's a really fun book. Um, And uh, in the Flash Forward Book Club, we have been sharing our most used emojis and reading each other's emoji horoscopes, which has been really fun. So if you want to be part of the Flash Forward Book Club, um, you can do that by becoming a $7 and up patron, and then you get a little code to join the Slack, and we talk about books. This month, we are reading Bad Blood, um, the book about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, um, and it's really interesting. We're already having some really interesting discussions. If you want to find more of Gretchen's work, you can do that. She has a website, GretchenMcCulloch.com. You can find her book there. You can also find a link to her Wired columns, um, which are really cool. Uh, And you can also find a link to Lingthusiasm, the podcast that she mentioned, a podcast about linguistics. Um, And it's really fun. It's a really fun show. I feel like I've learned a lot about linguistics. I will link to all of those things in the show notes for this bonus episode. Um Flash Forward comes back on November 12th. Um and this season is all about power. We have five episodes about power and um it's going to be fun, I think. I'm really excited about the episodes that I have lined up. Um I've been doing interviews all this week and all last week and I've got interviews all next week for this. Um some really cool episodes, um some surprising stuff, some interesting stuff, some wacky stuff. Um And also, as I mentioned, the 100th episode, which is on November 19th. Um, There's going to be some surprise special merch in the store for the 100th episode. And I'm going to try to give patrons a little bit of a pre-sale heads up so you can see it first you get first access especially because the poster that we're making there's only going to be 100 copies sold so um you all will get first crack at those um and yeah i'm just really excited for this um this little mini season and then after this mini season there will be a little bit of a break and then i'm back next year um thank you to everybody who sent congratulations about the book that i'm working on um There is not a pre-order link for that yet. Um, My deadline isn't until next year. But as soon as there is something like that, a link for you to pre-order the book, don't worry, I will be (laughs) all over the place telling you about it and linking to it and asking you to please uh, support the book. So um, thank you, though, to everyone who was congratulatory about the book, which is very exciting. Um, and that's it. That's it for this bonus episode. It's just this interview. Um, I, A secret. What is a secret that I have for you today? I feel like all of my secrets recently have been about this ceramics hobby that I have developed. But um, so recently I fired the a big batch of these sculptures that i've been making which i've been calling the noodle beasts um and they are weirdly shaped and they have lots of like weird noodly bits um and so i glazed them by hand by painting the glaze on and you have to be really careful with glaze um, because if you put too much of it on or if it's a certain kind of glaze it can run and glaze is basically like liquid glass essentially and so it gets really really hot in the kiln and then it can run and if it runs too much it can actually bleed out onto the shelf of the kiln shelf and then solidify. And then basically your pieces are just like glued to this shelf, which is bad. Um, and of course, um, I glazed these noodle beasts and I had done some test glazes of like little pieces and done it and it hadn't run. And then of course I opened up the kiln last weekend and there was glaze all over the kiln shelves and all these pieces were stuck to the shelf. It was very bad Um, and also like very embarrassing because then I had to go to the studio people and be like, hey, I'm sorry I ruined your shelves. so also to add insult to injury or to add literal injury, I guess, to insult, I managed to cut myself while I was trying to get one of the pieces off. So I also like bled all over the shelves. So it was not my finest moment. Um, actually I actually had to take the shelves home with me and then use a Dremel and a chisel. i just like try to get the pieces off. Miraculously, I got almost all of them off. One of them broke sort of irreparably, but everything else came off okay. Um, and, uh, and then I had to return the shelves and, um, you know fess up to my sins and help pay to replace them because they were ruined. Um, so that was not great. Uh, not my finest moment in the studio, but I do now know, um, a little bit more about this process and I think next time I will do a better job. So, um, (laughs) um, yeah, that's my little secret. Don't, don't get your stuff stuck to the kiln shelf. It's, it's not fun. Okay. Uh, you'll hear me in your ear holes on November 12th. Thanks. Bye.